is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 175, operating on April 3rd, 2023. This is Doug, an airline pilot, and I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Drew, I feel like I have been so far out of touch because I have not been touching planet Earth for like the last four days, it seems like. I I don't even know what happened at the hub this week. I don't know what went on with work. I don't know if your winter storms are done. I don't know if you're getting hit by these crazy, severe tornadoes. I have absolutely no clue what's going on. It's beautiful. It's beautiful out here. And for the listeners, I just took a picture of uh, Doug, what he looks like right now so that you can experience what I am experiencing. (laughs) So, you know, I joke, but sometimes we look like we were in an accident because we tape at weird times with no sleep and no idea what what uh, time zone we're in. But Doug just got back from a trip, which we're going to speak about in just a moment. And he honestly looks like he's been in a fight or an accident or I don't know. Can I can I stop you there? Yes. The listeners are probably going to say that you say that a lot or I say that I feel like I've been in an accident a lot. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> this this lifestyle beats you up. Well, you were definitely, um, you know, when they put the prisoners in and sometimes they want to punish them with a rough ride, you know, in the in the paddy wagon. That's like it looks like that's what you've been through. And you're going to tell us about your trip. And that kind of is what you were going through on the way on the way back to back to Svo. But anyway, we're going to get to the pilot memoir. <laughs> let me uh, let me talk about uh, my week, which is fast. So we have all these new hires, Doug. So it seems like my department has had almost a 50% turnover rate over the last year. And it's mostly good because people are getting promotions and they're, you know, they're moving on with their careers and the job market's good. So we got uh, a bunch of new people and they're great. But, you know, when I started as a zone controller, it used to be a zone controller back then. I was given like three days of training with someone and a radio and a phone. And they're like, all right, you good? And and what are you supposed to say? I'm like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) So I don't, you know, I'm in charge of training now. I don't want that to happen to our people. So they get like a full on two weeks, one week of shadowing a zone manager, all this stuff. And it keeps getting better and better, right? As the new set of people come in. And now we're doing gift baskets for, we're doing gift bags, Doug. We're doing a gift bag. With, I mean, don't get too excited. It's some. Not, no, uh, you're not being sarcastic. Like actual. <laughs> oh no! Yes. Yeah. I'll send you pictures. Like it's you know it, it it is like top notch. So, but don't get too excited because their gift bag has their headset that they're going to use. Some earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> I threw in some of our new snacks, and I threw in some triple seven pins that we give out, and then a little pamphlet of uh, the phone numbers that they would use and stuff like that. So, but the people that have been there are like, wait, we didn't get, we didn't get a gift basket. What, what about that? It's like, you know, we're continuously evolving. And then I tell them the story of when I started, so they don't feel as bad. But now they also get a ramp tour. So when they start the first few days, I'm like, all right, let's take them out. But it's, it's not just a fun and games like when you guys visit and I take you for the nickel tour, right? You and Greg and all the people. We print out maps of the airport, the FAA diagram of the airport, give each one a copy so that as I'm driving people around, I can explain. This is runway one right. That mm-hmm. same piece of concrete is 19 left. And let's let's look at the map and see why. Because a lot, a lot of the people we hire aren't do not have a very thorough aviation background. 
Some of them come from business schools. Some of them come from other departments. So it's all foreign to them. And when I'm driving around, I'm like, all right, so when you look at this map and you put in your notes, when we're taking a long taxi time, you need to put in where the aircraft is. So if we were here and your aircraft was here, what would you put? And I quiz them. It's like, oh, okay. So we're a, you said we're a beam runway one right on taxiway Yankee. It's like, yeah, that's great. That way, you know, when someone asks you where it is, you know, you can tell them. And Rob, who is our station trainer, is like, yeah, they'll ask you, but half of those people don't even know where that is themselves. <laughs> Which is so true, because when I was a new zone manager, I didn't know where Taxiway Yankee was. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it was fun and educational because it's not just a fun ride around the airport. This is so you know what the layout is. The gift basket thing. I mean, I've, we've all been there. Uh, most of our listeners have probably switched jobs from time to time. I mm-hmm. showed up in my squadron fresh out of pilot training, thinking this is amazing. I'm going to my forever home and I show up and it was a ghost town. I found someone in the hallway and they're like, oh, who are you? And I spent like two or three days just trying to find where I was supposed to right. go. Right, there's no in. welcoming committee. No, no, I mean, you're you're, you're fresh out of training. Like mm-hmm. it would be like fresh out of college getting hired somewhere and you show up and you're just a number and they're like, who are you? What? Yeah. Why are you here? Oh, yeah. here, let, let's get you a headset, like you said. Right. Let's get you set up. In the old days, we just got thrown to the wolves, but we learned quickly, right? But that's not the way, that's not the best way to learn. So now, you know, two weeks into it, we have them sit at the phones and do the radio. It's like, all right, now we're going to throw you to the wolves, but softly, (laughs) because you have help all around you if you have a question. So Honestly, I I know that people say that society might be getting soft and I don't want to open up that can of worms, but I really do think that the way that you're doing it now is probably the best way. And it it builds that loyalty to the company from from the Mm get-go, from an early start. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I tell these people, you're managing a zone, but I want you to be the station manager of that zone. So when you come to me with a problem, I also want you to come to me with a solution. So from the get-go, there is a higher bar of what I expect. I'm not expecting them to be clerks or note-takers. I'm expecting for them to engage and manage their depa- their little area of the airport like it's their station. So it's not like it's a lower expectation, but we're giving them the training and the tools to do that properly. We're not just telling them, hey, here's your radio and phone. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're playing this game with me before you went on the trip that you just got back from and you look like you were in an accident, you didn't tell me where you were going and you were like very like mischievous about it. It's like, give me a break. We have secrets now. So then you made me guess. So you're driving out to Spo. Was it mischievous or mysterious? Both. (laughs) Because I think you used used the improper term there. No, no, mischievous because you put in... um, the gif that you were like laughing, you know, oh, like, the <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That that's true. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So I, it, it wasn't hard to guess though, because you're driving to Spo at night and you, you fly a triple seven. We don't have like 10 triple sevens leaving at night. There's only a handful of flights. Then you, um, I don't hear from you. you for- can, can I, can yeah. I explain from my, from my side here? Mm-hmm. You, you guessed correctly. Yeah. But but I didn't answer for a really long time, and you're like, "Have you landed yet? Have you landed yet?" Are you there? And I had, there yet? I had joked with you that I was going to Elizabeth, New Jersey, that I was just doing a, a newer turn, and I 
took a picture on the arrival of the place that I was going. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. You can see the the <laughs> primary site that defines the city. And I sent it to you. And you still thought that it was Elizabeth, New Jersey. No. So <laughs> I initially said it was Sydney. And then you sent me a picture. And then you're like, oh, yep, coming up over beautiful Elizabeth, New Jersey. And the picture that you sent, I'm like, I'm not used to seeing Sydney from um, uh, from the air. And I look at it, it's like, oh, so he's in Newark because I see Manhattan. And it did look like Manhattan, the way Sydney is like a I strip of buildings. That. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, you faked me out. Yeah, um, and then I get on the <laughs> ground, send a picture of the opera house, and you're like, oh, you are there. I, I didn't realize that you didn't know from the aerial shot because in my mind I was like, Oh, you're going to see the opera house. It stands, stands out right there, but I can definitely see it. It, the whole thing was, you're right. It was mischievous, but it was also very funny it was fun. to follow along with. Okay. So how does someone with, you can't usually even get on a flight with your seniority. How do you get a flight to Sydney, which I'm sure is a very senior route for our employees? It very much is. There are a couple ways that you can do it. Yeah. You can, do what's called a criteria pickup or mm-hmm. a trade, which is where if you have a block of open time or you have a trip that you want to get rid of mm-hmm. and go to a place like Sydney, you can put in and say, I want to trade my Inchon or trade my Tokyo for a Sydney. Sometimes those do fall through the cracks, meaning that there are enough senior people that when that trip comes into open time, let's say someone takes military leave or sick time or something, mm-hmm. and the person who originally was assigned that trip then drops the trip, then it goes to the the high the highest seniority person who is also trying to request that trip. Mm-hmm. So there are times where it could it could trigger. I've been in Frankfurt before and I look at the open time, which is the list of all the trips that we have. Mm-hmm. And I see that Sydney is going more junior than me for that particular day. Yeah. So it's it's like I've never been in a position where I could trade into it, but there are times where it does go junior to me. Unfortunately, I've, I've never had those times. There are also times where it goes to someone on reserve. And mm-hmm. I, I saw it when I was on reserve. I was not senior enough on the reserve list to get it. At my seniority, I'm never, or I, I don't want to say never, but it's it's going to be a while before I could get it in the initial monthly trip assignments. Like when, mm-hmm. when we get our schedule for the month, I'm not senior to get it, but there are ways that I can this one fell into my lap because I have a friend who needed today off. He needed this particular day off. I had a three-day Frankfurt, and he offered me the four-day Sydney oh, wow. for it. But wait, before you go on, can you trade amongst yourselves? Because maybe someone senior to you Correct. wanted it. Yeah, you can. Yeah. It, so I, there were oh, wow. a lot of people senior to me who probably wanted it. But because we did, uh, it's called a peer-to-peer trade. Mm. It was he approached me and offered the trade, mm-hmm. and I, I accepted. So oh that okay. circumvented the seniority in a way. Right. So you have to find these senior first officers in the system and go, you know, buy them seized chocolate or take them out for beer. Yeah. So that you can like, they will call you first because they get the prime trips. Yeah, I try not to. I, honestly, I try not to bother senior people mm-hmm. and, and offer. A, a lower trip. I, I'm not saying Frankfurt isn't great. I love Frankfurt, but mm-hmm. Sydney is very highly desired. If I were to look at everyone who had a Sydney trip in yeah. around these couple of days and offer my Frankfurt, 
they would probably just decline it and laugh in my face and, <laughs> or, or not even say anything, just decline it. And, and the reason I say that is because I've had some good trips that uh, less senior people than me offer up like a really bad four day domestic with eight legs and things like that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to give away my, my four day inch on for one that does a red eye to Chicago. And that does Chicago, Houston, Denver to Newark, or, you know, you can kind of see like, it has to be a good trip Mm -hmm. or something that someone really wants. I can't really offer up my normal schedule to be able to get something like a Sydney. So it seems like a good trip. I mean, the the pictures are fabulous. And for the listeners, I'll, I'll we'll post some of those pictures. It's some of the best pictures you've sent from a trip. I don't know if it's a new camera or whatever, but I mean, they were like... No, I, I think it was just the timing. Um, yeah, I, I can talk about my layover real quickly. Anyone who's yeah. been to Sydney, I had 24 hours. I, I've been to Australia before. I've been to Brisbane, never yeah. been to Sydney. I had 24 hours from the time we landed to the time that the van left. Mm-hmm. And I so short. Flew that's like fi- a Newark turn sometimes. It is. It is. And I flew 15 hours down there. I'm tired mm-hmm. when I get in. I have to sleep at least one night, maybe a nap and, and a night, and then be tired enough because I was the bunkie to be able to go to sleep immediately after takeoff for the way home. Mm-hmm. And also see Sydney for the first time, knowing that it could be a couple of years before I get another Sydney trip. So there's definitely some pressure as soon as I hit the ground. So I literally had to hit the ground running. I got to the room, I changed, I walked straight to the wharf. I got on a ferry, took it over to Manly, which is this beach town. It was about a 20 minute ferry over Mm -hmm. like right on the coast because Sydney Harbor or Sydney, central Sydney sits in the Harbor, which is a little bit inland. So I took the ferry over to Manly, spent the rest of the morning and early afternoon just walking along the beach, getting some awesome seafood for lunch, had a couple beers. Mm-hmm. And I, as much as I would have loved to have just hung out on the beach all day, I also had to get back to Sydney to do this, some of the Sydney sightseeing because right. I wasn't just there for a beach day. Yeah. So I took the ferry back and I'll tell you, the ferries around Sydney, first of all, Sydney is a gorgeous city. Uh, of the cities I've been to in the world, top five mm-hmm. easily. Wow. Top, it is just so gorgeous. And yeah, taking the ferry, definitely. taking taking the ferries around it's like one of those tour buses that you see in london or new york the Mm -hmm. hop on hop off sightseeing tour buses you get these majestic fantastic views of sydney on the ferry and it's a it's not a sightseeing ferry it's a commute like you Mm -hmm. are you're taking it as transportation to get somewhere but you're on the harbor and it's open air i got amazing videos and, and pictures I was able to see some of the sites just from the ferry that I was taking as a mode of transportation, not a sightseeing thing. So that was awesome. Walked around the opera house. I told you I was hoping to to stay up until sunset. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get close. <laughs> I, I don't even know what time it was. I got back to the room. I was going to try and finish the, the rundown for this yeah. episode. And I ended up falling asleep with my computer next to me. Yeah. The beauty of that, and this is probably one of my favorite things to do in a city, is get up early, get up before the sunrise, get up before the people and just either go for a run or go for a walk. So yesterday morning, I was wide awake at four o'clock in the morning. So I just walked for a few hours until the sun came up. Mm -hmm. Sydney at that time of morning was empty. It was beautiful. It was clean. I didn't feel unsafe at all. And I got some awesome sunrise photos of the harbor of the 
opera house of the bridge of of all that it was yep. it was amazing and we'll post we'll post all those on the website you wrote the script or the um the bullet points for this episode and it's really good so we have a lot to cover but i, I want to know just real quick um how are the flights themselves because uh coming back you said it was very turbulent yeah it, it was it was turbulent in both directions and part of the reason why i look like a train wreck right now is because it was so bumpy on the way home, especially during the first half of the flight, like as we were crossing the equator. Mm-hmm. Once the other FO and I got in the seat, the captain and the flying FO were saying that they had an, a blocked altitude of something like 5,000 feet. They kept going up and down trying to find a smooth ride. They had to deviate around storms. Like Just pull up a satellite image of the weather at mm-hmm. the equator not even just in the Pacific, everywhere around the world. That's where all those big storms pop up because it's just hot, humid year round. Yeah. All these these giant storms pop up. So because of that, when I was in the bunk, I normally I sleep really well on the airplane. I can get it was like a six hour break. So I should have been able to get about five hours of sleep. Yeah. I maybe slept for a total of ninety minutes and that was in like five to ten minute chunks because I I would then get woken up by the pretty heavy turbulence not that i'm scared of it or anything mm-hmm. but like it just jolts your body around and yeah. it's really difficult to sleep through that you sent so a I definitely radar, felt it you sent a radar image going to sydney about the weather that you were mm-hmm. approaching right yeah. and greg one of our friends said you know looking at the image said wow we really got to thread a needle and you said there's no threading the needle because you just had to go no he he was he said that because i sent two That's I, I, the first He's- the first one I was able to, and then the second one, he said, "Yeah, no threading the needle here." Oh, got it. Yeah, and we have we have procedures that if there is a line of storms and we have to go through it, we look for on the radar returns. We look for the the lowest returns, which means it's not going to be the high energy state. Might fly through the clouds or part of the storm, and might get jostled, jolted around (laughs) a little bit. But if there literally is just a line that's hundreds or thousands of miles long and you mm-hmm. can't really deviate one direction or the other. It's either turn around and divert to, I don't know, Honolulu or Fiji. I can't remember where we were at that point yeah. or you find the weakest point in the storm and you, you just have to go through it. Yeah. Um, a couple things before we leave this topic, shout out to Aaron who uh, you and Aaron were in the air at the same time over the Pacific. He's going to Melbourne. Um, he's one of these, uh, these eclipse chasers. So I think he's, I don't mm-hmm. know, going to Darwin or uh, uh, someplace in Indonesia. I forget the, the place anyway. So uh, Aaron, shout out to you. Hope you're having a good time. And another thing about Sydney. So Doug, you were in the city that has the most downloads for next trip podcast. So of all the city mm-hmm. in the world, Sydney has the most downloads. So for our listeners in Sydney and all of Australia, thank you so much for supporting us. We have a lot of good listeners from there that give us feedback. So keep the feedback coming. And um, I have been to Sydney once and I'm excited to go again, hopefully later this year. And thanks to all the listeners down there. Sorry, I didn't mention anything. I was trying to keep it on the DL, but it also was one of those things where it was like, I knew that I had just such a limited time to be able to see anything. And I I didn't want to take away from sitting down, having beers with the listeners like we did in, in Manchester or in Copenhagen yeah, because that was a little bit more low key, laid back. This was like I had my list of things that I've wanted to do since I was like six years old and found out about Sydney. Right. So I really had to put put the pedal, <laughs> pedal to, to the, the floor metal. and just <laughs> pedal to the metal and just go. Last thing before we move on, this is my last 
trip with the airline for several months. Yeah, you're because you're because I'm going to training. Yeah, Air Force training coming up. This was an amazing way to take a pause. I I'm I'm sad to be stepping away. I cannot wait to get back to the airline. But mm-hmm. if if I had to do one final trip, if you can call it that, for yeah. several months, this was an amazing way to go out. Yeah, I want to say final hurrah, but it's not a final hurrah. It's just a, a temporary goodbye. It's, it's intermission, basically. Well, Drew, we haven't heard any feedback from our listeners, positive or negative, regarding our aviation word of the week. Because of that, we're just going to keep it going. <laughs> okay. If... We haven't heard feedback, so we're just going to keep doing it. <laughs> well, so we probably don't I mean, like we it. Haven't but... heard, we haven't heard good or – well, that's not true. <laughs> listeners tell us if they if they don't like – well, certain listeners, I'm, I'm thinking of, tell us if they don't like it. Yeah. If it is getting too much, though, at, we're asking you to let us know. Or even better, if you've heard an acronym or a word recently that you're unsure of, ask us. This week's word has been teased a few times, and we're finally getting around to it. Drew, aside from the name of a, a baby or a cute animal that mm-hmm. I maybe saw when I was in Australia, what is an Aderu? Aderu? We always pronounce it Aderu. I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> Is that how the pilots pronounce it, Aderu? Yeah, we pronounce it Aderu. Aderu? I, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All right, well, you were just in Australia, so is the Aderu like a musical instrument similar to the didgeridoo? <laughs> 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 um, all right, well, so anyway, the Aderu, or Aderu as you say, it stands for Air Data Inertial Reference Unit. According to the ult- our ultimate source of any information, Wikipedia, an Aderu or Aderu acts as a single fault tolerant source of navigational data for both pilots of for both pilots of an aircraft it supplies air data which is airspeed angle of attack and altitude and inertial position that's position and attitude now attitude is whether the plane is banking or pitching that's what attitude means information to pilots electronic flight instrument system displays as well as other systems on the aircraft such as the engines autopilot aircraft flight control system and landing gear systems. And Doug, I just because I am trying to picture what it looks like, I have an image of uh, an Adaru, the Adaru system or the ADIRS system. Is that how mm-hmm. it looks on a 777? No, because we actually, this this image right here, this is what it was like on the KC-10, where mm-hmm. I actually had to go into the toggle and select navigate, which aligns the system. We, we could really dive deep in the weeds on this. Basically, this is inertial stands for there's some gyroscope mm-hmm. in the airplane somewhere that is spinning. And if the, the spinning changes based on gravity and uh, like a turning moment or anything like that, the airplane is able to figure out its attitude yeah. if it's turning or climbing, things like that. On the ten, we would have we, we had multiple units, and, and we would have to go into navigate to start to align it. Mm-hmm. On the triple, I literally just have one button that, as part of my initial pre-flight, when I walk onto the flight deck, I hit the Aderu button, okay. and that aligns everything. It's not multiple mm. buttons that I have to click; it's one button that aligns the entire system. And there are multiple systems within the Aderu mm-hmm. system, like backup systems. It's all tied to just this single switch that when I when I hit it, mm-hmm. then on my display, it goes into a countdown clock and it yeah. says time to align. Usually it takes about 10 minutes from when I get into the flight tech and I hit that, which is perfect because then I can sit down, I can initialize the system, go do the walk around. And by the time I'm done with the walk around, 
everything is aligned and I can keep going with my pre-flight. Okay. All right. So, this, and it, mm-hmm. well, I was just going to say, and the, the Aderu itself is pretty big. It, it's not like, this is just the display that right. controls it. And that's yeah. maybe three inches by three inches. Uh-huh. The Aderu itself is, is a giant piece of, of machinery. Is that, down in in the, the, is that the E&E bay, in the E&E I bay? I think it's in the, e, I'm pretty sure it's in the E&E bay. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't find exactly where it's located. This whole ep- this whole episode could be about the Eteru. I mean, there's like so many intricacies to it. But I pulled up some articles of what happens when it fails, which is not... There, I could only find two instances where it was reported when it failed. And one was uh, from Australia. It was a um, Qantas A330. This was in October of 2008. The aircraft was cruising at 37,000 feet. And then it suffered uncommanded... Uh, was it pitch down maneuvers? It caused the airplane to plunge in a 650 foot dive. It caused 74 injuries with a lot of broken bones and spinal injuries. So it was bad. So they traced it to a failed Aderu system where um, the flight control computers interpreted that the plane was stalling and it was doing a nose down. And then there was another um, Air Canada Rouge incident, which didn't involve any injuries, but the system failed. Have you heard of this? So even with the autopilot off, where you think you're in control and nothing else is controlling it, the airplane will still fly within its protective envelope or the normal law. So the autopilot could be off and the Adaru will make the plane still correct if it thinks it's in a stall. Not quite like that. Basically, we have multiple modes of autopilot, even with the degradation of certain systems of the autopilot there are certain functions that are still going to work as advertised, like flap over speed protection or stall protection. And the, the Aderu has many different modes of operation, just like the autopilot does. Mm-hmm. So to get into an Air Canada type incident or a Rouge type incident, you have to have almost like a full electrical failure of that system. And then also a fault with the Aderu that happens at the same time. Wow. Because there are so many redundancies that are built in and we go through all this in training yeah. in the Sims. We do some degradation of autopilot and Aderu systems. And even then the checklist just tells you, Hey, you might have, you might lose overspeed protection. And what that means is, if you're in a certain flap setting that has a speed limit associated with it, so you mm-hmm. don't overspeed the flaps, as long as the Aderu is, is fully functioning, the airplane will not let you overspeed. Okay. You could jam the throttles all the way to the stops, and the airplane is going to say, no, no, we're we're not doing that. I'm yeah. not going to let you overspeed. That all comes from inputs from the Aderu system. So that if there is degradation, we might lose that overspeed protection, mm-hmm. which means that if I were to jam the throttles, the stops, the airplane isn't going to stop me from overspeeding of flight control. Got it. Okay. All right. No, interesting. So uh, next time maintenance tells me a plane is on uh, an update for an Aderu problem, I'm going to be like, oh, no way. And I'm going to be, and it's like, why are you so excited that the plane's going on a maintenance decision? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to tell everyone what this does. <laughs> All right. So I said in a previous episode, you know, I don't know what the Adaru is, but, uh, you know, if I ever have a son, that's going to be his name, Adaru. <laughs> and did you know <laughs> that there, there's a secondary one in the triple seven and it's called the Saru S A A R U. And that is the secondary attitude air data reference union, which unit, which is, which complements the Adaru. 
So if I have a daughter, her name is going to be Saru. But then I also found out that Saru is a South Indian soup, so maybe not. It's <laughs> crazy. All right, let's get to work with uh, the news recap, Doug. This week, uh, we have a quick update about the U.S. DOJ Department of Justice lawsuit trying to block the JetBlue Spirit merger. Um, what, we, what we have is we're just going to have to wait longer, Doug. So, <laughs> I mean, this is a telenovela that we've been talking about going on two years now, it seems like. So District Judge William Young, who presides over a district court in Boston, set a trial date for October 16th. JetBlue lawyers, they wanted to have this uh, done in September. Uh, prosecutors wanted to wait till January 2024. The non-jury bench trial is expected to last upward of four weeks and is expected to yield an outcome before the end of the year. So pre-trial hearings have given us a little insight into the government's case against the merger, arguing the deal is presumptively illegal and that JetBlue plans to remove 10 to 15 seats from every spirit plane it acquires. Doug, is that a bad thing? <laughs> I mean... 10, 10 to 15 percent, percent of the seats, but... And and that's... We all knew that anyways. I, I Well, and the government... Congress is looking at seat size. Doesn't this... I mean, doesn't that help when you're removing seats? Anyway, so the U.S. Justice Department said the plan merger will lead to higher fares and fewer seats, harming millions of consumers on hundreds of routes. Um, JetBlue said, quote, it's unfortunate that these states have, oh, there's more. So just yesterday, Doug, some states are joining the bandwagon. So and our our states that we live in are uh, guilty. California, Maryland, New Jersey, and North Carolina have signed on to this Department of Justice lawsuit. So they're piling on against JetBlue and Spirit. You made an excellent point that the government is pushing to regulate the seat size and decrease the number of seats on board. But yet their argument is if this merger goes through, there's going to be decrease in the number of seats. That that right there, that sums up what's going on with this. But the states, the states jumping onto this lawsuit, I <laughs> unfortunately, I think that that's going to give a, a little bit more thumb on the scale to the blocking side than it would if the states had not signed on to this. Do, wow. do I think it's still a, a done deal either way? No, I don't. But I, I think that the odds of it going through have decreased a little bit now that there are actual states that are joining the lawsuit. But you wonder what's going on. Why are these states getting personally involved in this um, national lawsuit, right? Is it because those states have a high percentage of flights from other carriers that they, you know, they don't want to hurt their hub status? Right. If JetBlue does not have a hub there, I can tell you who doesn't have a problem with it. So the Florida attorney general, exactly the opposite. So there. uh, So it's uh, Ashley Moody is her name. She's fine with it because um, these airlines offer to increase the seat capacity in Fort Lauderdale and Orlando by 50 percent. So she's fine with it because that's improving the traffic in those cities, Mm -hmm. though. They, um, you know, I, I think we've stated very clearly what our position is. This would make JetBlue the fifth largest carrier, and it will be good competition for the top four. So uh, we actually think it might improve or increase competition. Well, if another update on October 16th or anytime something comes up, which likely is going to be in the next week or two as this story has gone, as you said. In our next news story, Delta is joining the party of creative ways to solve the pilot shortage. The airline launched Propel several years ago, which is a program that helps attract and train pilots. Until now, the program partnered with flight schools around the country to train future Delta pilots. 
side note, it's basically like flight schools and colleges that have training, pilot training. Mm-hmm. The Delta has said, we would like to have some of our Propel students go here and then they can flow in. It was not a Delta owned, Delta maintained, mm. Delta run program. Okay. Well, now Delta is joining United as well as other foreign carriers that have their own flight academy. Delta is launching their own flight academy. It's going to be called the Propel Flight Academy, it's supposed to launch in June in Vero Beach, Florida. Students at the academy will be eligible to receive up to $20,000 in tuition assistance. Hmm. The program will help students get their private pilot's license, their commercial license, their instrument rating and eventually lead to their CFI, which is Certified Flight Instructor Rating. Program participants who accept CFI roles at the Propel Academy, once certified, will become salaried employees and can build hours towards eventually ending up at Mainline Delta. The airline says it hopes to train more than 5,000 new pilots at Propel through the end of the decade, which is, I think, the the same number that United wants to at AB8. Okay, so that leaves... um... American. So I wonder what the name of their program is going to be like a, a, you know, how they have two A's. So aviation with two A's. I don't know. <laughs> Accelerate. Yeah. They... <laughs> million, our million dollar next trip. Yeah. If they, if they use that, if they use that, get ready. Cause we'll be in court. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk to this judge. What, what was his name? William. We'll reach out to William Young and he can, he can preside. Oh, or yeah. perjure, perjure over our our argument. Yeah, perjury with Americans saying they didn't steal it from us. It's like, okay, go back and listen to what we said. No, that's great news. All right, so more ways for you to become an airline pilot. So any young people that have any interest and have a pilot's license and are wondering what to do, there's a lot of opportunities right now. Let's move across the Atlantic, Doug. According to Reuters, Demand for transatlantic flights on the U.S. side of the pond is surging heading into the busy summer travel season. Online searches for airfares are at all-time highs despite increasing airfares. Poor, you know, it says poor economic outlook, and we'll see if that turns out, but everyone's has their gloom and doom with the R word. It may happen, it may not, but to for everyone to say that it's going to happen, it's getting old. All right, and, and expected poor, poor economic outlook and expected gridlock at European airports could possibly dwarf last summer's widespread issues. Airlines are expecting record profit margins on those flights and are increasing capacity in preparation for the summer rush. The demand, while high high is coming from the U.S. due to the dollar strength against the euro, uh, against other European currencies. As we mentioned before, flexible work arrangements at many companies are also enabling travelers to uproot historical travel patterns. Hopper, which is uh, um, an online travel agency or an OTA says that 37% of international flight searches in March were for travel to Europe, 9% higher than the same period in 2019. Kayak said summer searches to Europe are up by 77%. Transatlantic traffic is extremely important for U.S. airlines as it accounted for 11 to 20% of revenue last year. That's amazing. Sirium data shows that Delta, American, and United have increased transatlantic capacity by 22% year over year, while the fares are up 30%. So last year, Doug, the airlines made a, a killing on uh, summer traffic to Europe, and they're saying the fares are up 31% and the capacity mm-hmm. is up. That bodes really well for this summer. It does. And the fact that the fares are up a higher percentage than what the capacity increases, it's a 9% difference between the capacity. I know our airline was bigger across the Atlantic oh than any, any U.S. carrier and bigger than we've ever been in our history. 
And if, if we're up by 22% over even last year, mm-hmm. which was already a record-breaking year for us, that's amazing. And, and that bodes really well for Europe. Why is it possible? Well, it's possible because, as we've talked about, and I hate to sound like a broken record, Asia is still down. And we have the airplanes and the ability to put it in Europe because Asia is still not where it was. Right. So once Asia comes back, something is going to have to break. Are, are we going to decrease that European capacity? Mm-hmm. Or are we just going to say, we're going to throw the airplanes where we're going to get the highest yield, the, yeah. the highest fares, which who knows where that'll end up going. I think that we're running into a situation right now. And I read the other day that American has had to cancel some flights again mm-hmm. because they're not getting enough 787s delivered from Boeing because Boeing had to pause deliveries again. Yeah, Airlines can right now, crazy to think about compared to three years ago where we had way too many airplanes and they were all parked. Now airlines can't get enough airplanes. They can't get enough pilots. They can't get enough flight attendants for the demand. Yeah. You know, on a past episode, we discussed this, the IATA summer schedule. If you're an airline employee, everything changed last week because the IATA summer travel period started March 26th. And Doug, this is how they do it. So the start of the season is the last Sunday of March. So it could be always a different date. And then um, the last Sunday of October is when the fall or the winter, IATA winter season starts. And I'll tell you, so when it changed, it was like night and day. So we... Last week, we had a day with our summer schedule, which is, um, it's about 20 more flights than we had uh, in the spring or in the winter. It was a 95% load factor. And I'm like, here we go. This is a test run of how our summer will be. And thankfully, it went really well. And during the seven o'clock call, when we discussed the the European bank, you know, our our main bank at five o'clock, I'm like, you guys, the load factor was 95%. And our numbers for the D0 departure on time weren't as good on a, as on a Tuesday the week before the schedule change, but mm-hmm. we are doing great. And I'm like, these flights are full and the operation is humming. Now, granted, it was a blue sky day with no issues around the system, but it bodes really well. Now, this summer, this summer is better than last summer for most US carriers. So where we saw a 757 on a route to Europe, that same flight is now a 67 or maybe even a triple seven. I have these buddies now, Patrick from the move team and Ryan from ramp that I've been hanging out with. The moves are crazy. We're moving planes left and right to make everything fit. So we're basically have like 14 international gates, but we're running 20 international flights during the bank from those gates. And that involves a lot of moves and, but it's fun and it's busy and it's hectic, but, um, we're doing it pretty well. One more thing I want to add with this, because I mentioned Asia. I, I forgot to mention about my Sydney trip. Drew, I cannot tell you or I cannot believe the number of, of Chinese tourists that I saw around Sydney. It was teeming with Chinese tourists. I know we right. talked about how China is reopened now. I, I personally have not been back to China since pre-COVID. Yeah, People, other uh, coworkers that I fly with who have say that it seems like it's getting back to normal there Mm -hmm. you can walk around town without a mask on it people are out it's it's bustling Mm -hmm. the fact that i was in sydney what is that four thousand five thousand miles away from china and i know australia has always kind of been a a big draw for chinese tourists that was my first time in sydney so i can't really compare it to pre-covid yeah 
but there were so many Chinese tourists all over the place. Yeah, that's great. Which, which to me is a great sign that the the Chinese tourists are actually comfortable to travel again. They're getting out there. They're spreading their wings, which is going to help everyone as we've talked about. Oh, yeah. About. And, you know, I know the situation between the U.S. and China is tense right now with the whole Russian, you know, President Xi went to Russia to, you know, have this friendly meeting with Putin. But I don't think that should get away, get in the way of people traveling. And from what you're telling me in Asia, you know, if the Chinese traffic is growing to the rest of Asia, that helps that whole region, right? Mm-hmm. It can only help. And I just think when you have these disagreements, just keeping people from from communicating with with each other doesn't really, especially if it's civilians, right? Maybe the governments have issues, but let people travel freely, you know, because that can only help when people know each other and get to talk and try and reach some common ground. Anyway, we're going on this geopolitical rant, which we tend to do on this this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry for bringing that up. Let's stay abroad, and this includes China for our last story. A couple of key markets that we've been talking about lately, including India as well. New census data in India projects that India will soon overtake China as the most populated country in the world. China still leads India by a sizable margin regarding its aviation industry. However, according to analysts, Indian travel demand is expected to grow substantially in the coming years, setting the country on a path to overtake the Chinese market, albeit not for many years. There's currently a, quote, massive gap between the aviation markets of the two countries. Travel analytics analyst here, I gave myself the tough one. <laughs> Lalitia, Lalitia yeah. uh, Vala? Uh-huh. I think so. She said, quote, the gap between China and India is huge. Although India has the world's third largest aviation market, China's total fleet is almost five times the existing Indian fleet for almost equal population, which indicates room for expansion, though only 7.3% of India's current population holds a passport. Hmm. The Indian aviation market is expected to grow substantially in the coming years, in part due to Air India's merger with Vistara and the large aircraft order the company just placed. This gets into some really fascinating data here now. Additionally, China has ra- a rapidly aging population. 14% of its population is older than 65, compared to just 7% in India, and 34% of China's population is under 29, while 40% of India's population is under 25. So India's population is much younger mm-hmm. than what China's population is. Discretionary spending power is also growing in India, which means that the aviation in- industry is primed for a major boom. India's civil aviation minister, oh boy, here we go, Jyotiradita <laughs> G- Skindia. I think so. Probably not, not even close. Said to CNBC, quote, the country's aviation sector is entering its growth phase. We need to put in place the civil aviation infrastructure and capabilities so that by 2047, we will be able to support a $20 trillion economy within India. Daily passenger numbers pre-COVID in India were around 410,000. That number now is above 450,000. Current capacity at the country's airports is 192 million annual passengers. The country wants to expand that number to 420 million in the next four years. That's by amazing. 2027, they want to double the capacity at the nation's airports. Drew, I, I know it might seem like we keep harping on Indian aviation, mm-hmm. but this really is arguably the most important market in the world moving forward. Yeah, it's like the U.S. in the, the 50s and 60s, right, where aviation was burgeoning and all these airports were popping up, Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm you know, Houston, all that. And they're seeing that as we're speaking to, um, 
look at it closer. So Air India just got privatized. Campbell Wilson is their new CEO. And he said some interesting things. So he said, it's certainly the biggest aviation turnaround that I think I'm aware of. I don't think there's anything that has been attempted like this before. So he's talking about Air India possibly growing by leaps and bounds, just as the travel market is about to go through crazy growth. So they're in the right, you know, he's at the right job to be the CEO of a company that's about to grow, you know, and have all that market. You know, he's probably so excited. He also said he planned to triple passenger numbers and to eventually challenge Gulf airport hubs, including Dubai and Qatar for layover traffic. You know what you can do, India, to make that easier? Remove the visa requirement. So Mm -hmm. you need a visa requirement to go to India. So when I went to Sri Lanka, I had to get a visa to spend a few days there. Lift that. (laughs) If you want traffic going through there, I would have gone through there before. Doha, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, you can fly through there like you're flying through Chicago. You don't need any, you you just need a passport. I actually had drinks with Chetan, whose background is Indian, even though he's never like really spent any time living there. He grew up in Dubai and he lives in DC. His parents live in Houston. So it's one of these international families. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we were talking about this and it's interesting that you chose this as a topic because this is everything we were talking about last night. And we were talking about how Air India has such an advantage because they have the Russian overfly rights, which makes flights from India to the US, to Europe, to Canada, so much more um, viable for them than it is for us because the American carriers have to go around it or just discontinue the routes because they're not profitable. So in February, Airlines for America, which represents the large U.S. carriers, they said foreign airlines using Russian airspace on flights to and from the U.S. are gaining a significant competitive advantage over U.S. carriers in major markets, including China and India. And he said the whole principle of if a country A and country B are having a conflict, then country A insists country C, which is India... (laughs) To do X, Y, and Z, that's a precedent that I think we all need to be careful of. He's taken advantage of the situation. His goal is to make money and grow India, grow Air India, grow Air India's traffic. So he's going to use this advantage. And he was actually asked about that, you know, because what kind of what is India saying about an, another democracy being attacked by Russia, right? If you just let it go, and he said, well, you know, he do, he does not condone or support the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but he believes global aviation is the biggest enabler of global peace. And I think that's what we just talked about. And he also said, if they're not going to fly over Russia, they're going to get to where they're going some some other way, <laughs> right? So these people aren't going to Russia. They're going to other parts of the, the world. And why shouldn't Air India use their advantage to get them there? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I've seen an all out a full court blitz in San Francisco from Air India. Every time I'm there, there's an Air India plane sitting on the ramp. It's crazy to see. And even this morning after I left customs, I was walking to my car and I saw multiple billboards, not just one, mm-hmm. multiple billboards, Air India billboards saying, travel to India. We have all this, this traffic because our airline had to stop operating to India as soon as the Russian airspace closed to us. We were just not able to. Air India flies to, I, I know they fly to three destinations from San Francisco. I think it's multiple daily to a couple of them. They've got maybe four or five flights a day to San Francisco. No and we have and we have zero. That's crazy. Yeah, and that, that's that it's because they're utilizing that airspace and we are not. I see it from both sides. I really do. Yeah. I, I see it. India is trying to stay out of the geopolitics of it. 
even though they're an ally of the U.S., are trying to take a neutral stance when it comes to the overflight. Mm-hmm. I see Air India's side of it because they're like, hey, we're allowed to use it, so we're going to use it. Why would we, just out of the goodness, kindness of our heart, right. say, oh, because you can't, we'll, we'll sit yeah, down. Right, yeah. I, I, I totally get why they're doing that. Mm-hmm. I also get why A4A, Airlines for America, and all the U.S. carriers are upset about it because we are allowing Air India to take advantage of something that they're able to use that we are not able to. Yep. I, I see every single side of this and where where is the balance? What's the right answer? Well, how I, we could, on, on like, what they could do is um, airlines that have partnerships with Air India, they could code share on those flights. So then they can get some of that that money which i think i I think we do Mm -hmm. with i think we do with air india yeah well so the other thing that we were talking about air india's product i let's be honest uh from i have not flown them but uh from reports and reviews it's not good i was talking to chaitan yesterday it's like that's what they need to fix i it looks like they're taking a very strategic view on this i think they're trying to to fix the nuts and bolts first before they decide on product enhancements and cabins and livery and all that I think they're trying to fix just the basics, which is good, you know, just operating a solid airline. And Campbell Wilson, the CEO, was saying they're they're revamping their whole IT department. And he said they have not hired a new IT employee since 2007. And wow. the country will, And that's in India. Yeah. A country that is known for its IT. Right. So expect Air India to have a better app soon, <laughs> I would think. You know, he's working on it. Good luck to them because I think that that carrier is a partner with our carrier. So, well, the Air India product not being great. Vistara, from what I was seeing, they came in and knew that Air India's product was not great. So they they came in like a JetBlue uh-huh. did 15 years ago and right. said, "We're going to come in with this amazing product and get people to come over to our airline because Air India's product is stagnant and stale and hasn't been updated." Well, now who's running Air India? Right. The Tata Group. Who, who's in Who's in charge of the company? It's the former Vistara leadership team mm-hmm. and the Vistara owners who came in to try and shake that up. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's not going to be quick. It's not going to be overnight because replacing airplane seats and products and things like that. It's not a. It's a. It's a big shift to turn. I know we've talked about this previously, but I think that this this is going to bode really well for the company that it's the Vistara leadership team that took over and they had that mm. vision for Vistara. And now with what 400 some airplanes, new airplanes on order, mm-hmm. that's you're starting from ground zero. Yeah. You're starting from oh my scratch, God. Clean slate. which means you don't have to rip. Yeah. Clean slate. You don't have to rip seats out and put new things in there. These airplanes are going to be delivered with whatever the new product is. Right. And every single one of these airplanes that gets delivered is going to have that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to triple their fleet in the next seven years with this new product there you go yeah. there, there go all the complaints about the air india product by the end of this decade right and speaking of the air india product it's such a mishmash you could be on an air india 787 with a air india marketed product or you could be on an air india 777 with a delta seat or an etihad seat based on who they got these you know mishmash of aircraft from another thing that bodes well for them improving their product Singapore Airlines is investing 25% in the new Air India. So they will have a say on the product. Now, do they want the product to be better than Singapore Airlines? (laughs) I mean, that's going to be, I I know they are partners in the same same alliance. So it'd be interesting to see 
how their, you know, how they, the Air India product is compared to Singapore Airlines in the next five years. I would say if, if Delta's investment in Virgin Atlantic is any indication, I think that Singapore is going to want it to succeed because you're, you're investing money in a company, especially a, a regional partner and a, a competing, I get it. It's a competing partner, mm-hmm. but if you invest 25% in the company, oh, you're going to see 25%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to see, you want it to succeed because you don't want to throw 25% into this company and want it to fail. I don't invest in stocks and ETFs and bonds, right. hoping that they fail because maybe they hold a company that I'm against or something. I want it to succeed. Yeah even though it might be a competing interest of who I work for or things like that. And also they're in an alliance. So they're feeding each other customers. So if you have a strong Air India feeding customers into Delhi, where Singapore Airlines can, they can connect on to Singapore Airlines, you know, that helps. Mm -hmm. I know we talked about India and IT and it would have tied in really well with our main topic for this week, but we've gone really (laughs) long with all all the topics we had. This, this topic, this topic I selected, I actually did for, this was something that I read probably two months ago. Yeah. I was like, oh, I need another 10 minutes pocket. of content. Mm-hmm. And, and we're already 15 minutes past what I, where I thought we would be. So we're going to table this. Again, it would have fit in really well with the IT piece, but oh. we don't want an hour, an hour, 10 right. podcast. <laughs> well, I was getting ready for, you know, we, we can, let's keep it in our pocket for a future episode. But this, this is about artificial intelligence in the airlines and how they use it, you know, for their routing and for their computer systems. But just a funny story. We have the system. So it used to be that uh, the zone manager would decide what the delay code is, whether it's ramp, maintenance, and no matter what happened along the way, whoever was on the aircraft last, that's who got the delay, right? Even though <laughs> maybe customer service started boarding late, maintenance had to fix something, but in the end, they're missing 20 bags and it goes to ramp. <laughs> so it's not very, that's not how we used to do it. And, you know, it's like, oh, saved by me. Can I, so I've told the story before, but I remember a Frankfurt 747 and that was a most important flight. So if you took a delay on that, get ready for the Inquisition afterwards, right? <laughs> so we closed the door and it was like a minute prior. We're close, supposed to close it at least five minutes. And I'm like, come on, release the brakes. Come on, release. Let's get it on time. And the captain did, but it was one minute late. And I'm like, no, that's when you want to hit your head against a brick wall. Then the plane would taxi out. And then you would hear on the radio that Frankfurt was having an engine start, had a problem starting an engine. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Then you hear that it's coming back to the gate. And then I'm like, yes, I'm out of a customer service delay. How dumb (laughs) is that, right? That I'm happy to play. (laughs) But now we have artificial intelligence that looks at everything. And even though the last thing may have been maintenance, along the way, we'll see what was the biggest challenge. Maybe it was a one minute maintenance delay, but customer service started boarding 20 minutes late. That's your problem. It's artificial intelligence. Well, and it's, it's not trying to, it's not trying to place blame like, oh, it was you, it was you. Right. It's trying to assign a data point. That's all it's trying to do yep. is assign a data point to improve overall reliability. It's not to have a powwow and bring everyone in and yell at oh, no. customer service because I started boarding late. It's trying to get to the root cause. It, it used to be you were the <laughs> one who was responsible. No one would really try and figure out why right. and how we can make it better. Yeah. It's just a delay code. It's like, who who is the cause for the okay. delay? It like- now it's, how do we improve? It? I mean, Doug, we would take a two minute delay and it was like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Ramp would say, oh, we got the bags late from customer service from the jetway. And then CS would say, well, they came and picked up the bags late. So it should be, and it would be a back and forth. Guess what? 
The customer's on their way to San Francisco. They don't care. This is adding no value. We should spend that time getting ready for the next bank of flights so we don't take the same kind of delay. So now it's more holistic and we look at the trends and we look at the processes. We don't look at individual flights. And that is thanks to artificial intelligence. Now, some of my co-workers will say, it's like, all right, so you're trying to take a job away because this artificial intelligence is deciding what the delay reason is when that's something that we used to do. And I'm like, not at all. In fact, it's giving you time to work on stuff that adds value to the customer experience. So instead of debating a two minute delay with two departments, now you're free to plan for the next bank. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And they'd much rather do that than than spend half an hour going over a two minute delay and who did what when. So yeah, artificial intelligence. I could talk for 10 minutes <laughs> about this. I, I think that this is this is a good teaser. Mm-hmm. We could maybe put this in next week and, and we could really expand on this. Yeah. Because I, I, I was, uh, like I said, I've been holding on to this for a couple of months and I was excited that there was some, that the it seemed like there was going to be slop in our system yeah. right now to talk about it today. But we, we can save it for next week or an episode well, in the very near future. Before we close out, so we actually created, we had an idea for artificial intelligence 15 years ago because in the operations, we got tired of this constant people calling to change the delay code. So we said, let's put an automated system. Like when they call, it's like, thank you for calling the SOC. Are you calling to debate your delay code? Press one for yes. So they press one. It's like, oh, did you, um, what, what is your reason why it is not a CS delay? And then they would, and then <laughs> the computer would listen and they'd be like, thank you for your information. The delay code is still CS. Click. There you go, artificial intelligence. <laughs> we'll just keep it the same. <laughs> oh man, we should we should end this before we lose. Yeah, we might. It's, speaking of listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website nextripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind, so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us, so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. And we love customer service and we love ramp and we love everything that you guys do to get it on time. We love you, Mo. (laughs) We love you, Mo. We love you, Tyler. All right. Well, thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. The non-perjury bench trial is expected. No, no, non-jury. Non-jury. You said non-perjury. <laughs> no, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> non-perjury is always a good thing in, in a court. It's a Freudian right? slip. <laughs>